0: The following recording is a presentation of the Brean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Roanoke Park area. Well, let's take our Bibles, if you would, and let's open them to Acts chapter 19. Today we return to our investigation into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, Uh, Last week, we took a break to observe the blessed ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and I do hope that you enjoyed that service as much as I did. But here we are, back into the book of Acts again, talking about the Holy Spirit, and this is our third message. And as I explained in the first two sermons, uh, my choice for the title of the series is The Spirit of Christ, and using that title does not in any way diminish the uh, place of the Holy Spirit in the Godhead, but rather I intend for it to accentuate the fact that God is a Trinity. And indeed the Bible calls the Holy Spirit also the Spirit of God. Now I would encourage you, if you would, to keep your Bibles open today, we have several scriptures that we want to look at, we have many to review, and I decided not to put them Uh, up on the the text of them up on the screen so I want you to use your Bible and there may be some lines or words that you would underline uh, that are important for what we're going to talk about today now the scriptures of course are on your listening sheet and they will be on the screen and if you want to cheat a little bit to get ahead of me you can see which scriptures coming up next and you can already be prepared for that the Holy Spirit though is spoken of in dozens of scripture There are many that I could choose from to uh, preach on this topic. I've chosen, though, Acts chapter 19 as the launching pad that will get us into our discussion. And I like this text because it's so unusual and it's one that's often debated, not so much about the Holy Spirit, but more about baptism. But we're looking into the questions about the Holy Spirit today. And in this place, we find that the Apostle Paul kept a promise to the Ephesian church that he would return to preach to them again. He first saw them on his second missionary journey. This is now his third excursion, and he has returned to the city of Ephesus. And he comes with the mindset that he will strengthen the saints of God, that he will encourage them in their faith and then just check up and see how well that they're doing and how they have increased their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as he came into the city, he met 12 men that he hadn't met before. These were obviously not people that had heard him preach. These were 12 men who seemed to be quite confused about a very important doctrine of the Christian faith. And that is the doctrine or the confusion is about the Holy Spirit. My purpose is not to exposit this entire text. There's much here. I've told you that uh, there are lots of difficulties in this text. But rather, what we want to do is concentrate and identify with a common problem among Christians today and others who don't know exactly who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Now, when these, these disciples first met Paul, he asked them, had they received the Holy Spirit since they believed? Now, would you notice their answer as we read the scriptures beginning in verse number one? It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Until what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism and said, Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied and all the men were were about 12 these men said we have not so much as heard whether there be any holy ghost now the key to their response is to Paul's second question unto what then were ye baptized and they replied that they had John's baptism to which Paul responded John's baptism looked forward to the one who would come after John Now, I assume that you know that even though John the Baptist is a New Testament character, he is the last prophet of the Old Testament era. He was sent to prepare the people for the coming of Christ, or if we were to use the Old Testament terminology, he was sent to prepare them for the Messiah that had been promised to Israel for centuries. And his preparation was straightforward. It was direct as he told the people that what they must do is to repent of their sins and to flee from the wrath of God. And he was even more direct when he addressed their depravity by calling them snakes. You don't hear that kind of preaching today. Preachers won't talk like John talked, speak like he spoke instead our preachers today have a hair on staff. They had wear finely pressed Armani suits, and as I was thinking about that very line this morning, having a hairstylist on, ta- on ta- uh, staff, I was sitting on the back row and saw Melissa pruning uh, Tate's hair to make sure that it was all laid perfectly straight. I don't have that. I don't have that. I can't get anybody to do that for me. John was not that kind of a preacher. He was this leatherneck preacher that, that wore a hide that's ripped from a camel and he ate grasshoppers for breakfast. But the indication here is of them having received John's baptism is that they hadn't heard that the one that John preached had actually arrived. They were obviously, again, not disciples that were reached during Paul's second missionary journey. They never met the Apostle Paul because if they had, they would know this, that Paul said he preached nothing but Christ and him crucified. So since they didn't know about the death of Christ, they wouldn't know about the promise that he made that the Holy Spirit would come. Jesus said after his death, the Holy Spirit would come and he would give his people the power to live for him. They heard nothing at all about Pentecost. And they didn't know that the Holy Spirit had come to dwell in God's people in a very special way. So their answer was that they had not heard. There is a Holy Spirit, as I mentioned in another sermon, that does not mean that they had never heard of the Holy Spirit at all. They attended John's baptism. Apparently they heard John speak, and John spoke about the Holy Spirit. They had the Word of God. The Old Testament has much to say about the Holy Spirit. The part that they didn't get was they didn't know about this unique work of the Holy Spirit. Again, they didn't know what the Holy Spirit would now do in the life of believers. So there was confusion about the Holy Spirit, and it's still true today that there is still very much confusion about the Spirit. As we've mentioned again, uh, he is sometimes referred to as the forgotten person of the Godhead. Most know very little about him, and what they think that they know is incorrect. He's not who they think he is, and their opinions are often terrible distortions of his person and work. So what we're trying to do is to set the record straight by looking at what the Bible says. We don't base our understanding on popular opinions. We're not looking to hear what people say. We want to know what does the word of God say. And appropriately enough, it is the Holy Spirit himself that will guide us into the scriptures that tell us about him. Jesus told his disciples that after his death, the Holy Spirit would come and would guide them into all truth. Now, let me just very briefly talk to you about the first two parts of our outline that we have discussed previously. Don't have much time to spend there because we do need to go on. But the first thing that we talked about is that the Holy Spirit is a person, that he's not an impersonal force that is simply oozed out from God. He is a person. He has all the characteristics that are considered essential for personality. When I was studying for this message I wrote down that word personality and I wondered is that is that really the word that I want to use is, is personality is that the right word you and I use personality all of the time We may speak of someone who has a great personality and then we may speak of someone else who has, well he's got a rotten personality well we use the word but how do we how do we define personality what does that actually mean? Well, I had trouble with it, too. How am I going to define personality? So I just looked it up in the dictionary and the dictionary said personality, the complex of all the attributes, behavioral, temperamental, emotional and mental that characterize a unique individual. And I thought, well, that definition perfectly fits the Holy Spirit. He has all the things that that passage speaks over. That definition talks about all those very same characteristics. Also, the Bible uses personal pronouns when describing the spirit or referring to him. He has will. He has emotions. He has thoughts. He speaks. He reasons. He he works. He understands. He is a comforter and he is a friend. All of those characterize personality. Next, we look that the Holy Spirit is deity, and this means that the Holy Spirit is God. He is spoken of in the same context as the Father and the Son. He's associated with the other persons of the Godhead so that he completes the Trinity. He possesses the incommunicable attributes of God, and this means he has characteristics that no other being but God has. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient, he is omnipresent, he is immutable, he is eternal, he is transcendent, just to name a few. A force must be created. The Holy Spirit was never created. As God is, so is the Holy Spirit. As God will be, so is the Holy Spirit. As God has always existed, so has the Holy Spirit. And we worship him and recognize that he is God. So we've learned those two very important uh, characteristics about him. He is a person and he is God. Well, now we move on further into the scriptures to take a little deeper dive into the doctrine of the Spirit of Christ. And the next part will take us a while to get through. I want to be as thorough as I can, so I'm going to take several more weeks to look at this next part. So we'll get started now with this third observation that the Holy Spirit is God's agent he is god's agent which means the spirit is the person through him through whom rather god works now to say that in another way when god deals with his creation it is the holy spirit that affects his work god works through the holy spirit to accomplish what he wants done one of our hymns expresses this very well This is a Trinitarian hymn. It says, thank you, O my father, for giving us your son and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. And that is what the father did. The father is in heaven. Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven and the Holy Spirit was sent by the father and the son until God's work on earth is done. Now you could very well imagine that God's work on earth is wide and varied. There's much scripture about this, about the Holy Spirit and his agency doing the work. Now we're finite earthly creatures. We don't have real clear understanding of God, there's not a whole lot that we can know. What we do know, we'll learn in just a few minutes, is by the Holy Spirit. But the Bible was given us to uh, to help us to understand how that God relates to humans. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. So that means that everything that we know about God, everything we can know about God, must be revealed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is active in everything that we learn, everything that we touch, everything that we perceive, everything that we think correctly about God. All of that is because the Holy Spirit works positively to reveal it. Now, because of this, we have this long, long list of ways that the Holy Spirit acts as God's agent. And that's the reason it'll take a while for us to get through it. And even though I won't tell you all there is to know, um, and contrary to popular opinion, I don't know all there is to know. Uh, I can't tell you that, but we're going to learn quite a bit here, I think, about the Holy Spirit and his work. Well, since there is so much, where where do we start with that? And that that would be a preacher's problem, wouldn't it? you got this Bible that has all these references to the Holy Spirit and all the work that he does. Where do you start? Where in the world do you start? Well, that's where we start. With the world. We start with the very beginning. The best place to go is right back to the beginning. And there we learn about the Holy Spirit's agency. So first we have... The Holy Spirit is agency in the ministry of creation In Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse number two sets the stage for the creation that follows. We don't stop here with verse number two and say, well, that's the end of it. That's that's all we're going to see of the Holy Spirit. No, verse number two is the beginning of the work to bring order to this creation. When first created this terrestrial ball on which we live that we call the earth was a mass with no arrangement. The Holy Spirit was the agent of the Godhead that brought this beautiful world and all the life that is in it out of this chaotic mess. Psalmist wrote in Psalm 33, verse six, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Now, there's a spot that you might want to underline. Notice the words, the breath of his mouth that refers to the Holy Spirit. He is the breath of God. Now, in the Old Testament, when you see the word breath, it's the same underlying word that's used for wind. Same concept is found in the New Testament in the word pneuma that is translated as spirit. It's the same word I told you before. You recognize the word pneumonia that has to do with breathing, that has to do with your lungs. Well, the Holy Spirit is the breath of God, and the heavens and the host of them were made by the breath of God. Now, if you'll permit me to, to give you another point of understanding, this is what Jesus said in John uh, chapter 3, verse 8. He said, the wind bloweth where it listeth, or it goes wherever it wants to go. And thou hearest the sound thereof that canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now in that verse where you see the word wind, that is pneuma, and then at the end of the verse where it says Spirit, it is pneuma. Now you can trust me on this. We're going to return to this exceptional doctrinal point a little bit later on in our series. Then we also see in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, that man was created by the agency of the Holy Spirit. Genesis 2, 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God breathed into man the breath of life. Again, that refers to the Holy Spirit. And that is explained to us in Job 33, verse number 4. It says, The Spirit of God hath made me, the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. When I study the Bible and I see how the Bible explains itself, sometimes I get cold chills. It's worth it to read the Word of God. Well, not only was the Spirit the agent in the creation, but He is also the agent by which the creation is maintained. He's the one that keeps all of this going. Um, he's the custodian. He's the sustainer of all life upon this earth. In Psalm 104, verse 29, "Thou hidest Thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to dust. Thou sendest forth Thy Spirit." They are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. That is really good news if you are afraid that climate change is going to destroy the earth. God's in control of all of that. He can renew the earth at any time he chooses. Doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be good stewards of this world, but you don't, and I are not going to destroy it. God will do that in his own good time. So it's good news for us. Now, I... I, I Uh, I put this quote from RA Torrey on your listening sheet today. I wanted you to have this so you could read it and hang on to it. It's very, very good. But this is what Torrey said. He said, here again, it is through the agency of the breath of God that a higher thing, human life, comes into being. Naturally, as the Bible is the history of man's redemption, it does not dwell upon this phase of truth. But seemingly each new and higher impartation of the Spirit of God brings forth a higher order of being. First, inert matter, then motion, then light, then vegetable life, then animal life, then man, and then the new man, and then Jesus Christ, the supreme man, the completion of God's thought of man, the son of man. This is the biblical thought. Of development from the lower to the higher by the agency of the Spirit of God as distinguished from the godless evolution that has been so popular that is a great comment all of its good but I was drawn to the last part of the quote Tory says the development of the lower to the higher comes by the agency of the Spirit of God distinguished from godless evolution that has been so popular why is that so interesting well Tory refers to godless evolution as being popular it's interesting to me because Tory lived around the uh, around the turn of the 20th century when evolution at that time was you know not much more than a novelty people were checking into it and it was becoming more popular Torrey was one of the editors of the 12-volume series, The Fundamentals of the Faith, or The Fundamentals. And, of course, that's where we get our term, fundamentalism. But he said this, Godless evolution is popular. And I'm sure that he referred to its popularity among godless people. Godless evolution is for godless people. And the amazing thing of this is, he never would have thought that godless creation, uh, uh, evolution would become popular among those who call themselves Christians. He would never have that thought in his mind, that a Christian could ever say that God did not create this world, that it was through evolution and eons of time. I, I don't think that you can be a Christian and deny that the Holy Spirit is the agent of, In creation, that God did it. At very least, we'd have to say that is confused. It's inconsistent Christianity. It nearly borders on apostasy to rule God out. As Paul would say to the Christian who says this, he would say, "To what then were you baptized? To what then were you baptized? Well, we are baptized." to God, to Jesus Christ, to the Holy Spirit, who is the creator of all heaven and earth and the one who gives us our salvation. Well, some of you that are Bible students, you may see that a possible contradiction is developing because in the New Testament, we're told that Christ is the one who created the world. Specifically, Colossians 1:16 says, for by him, that is by Christ, "...were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him." How can we say the Holy Spirit is the agent of creation when this verse says that it was Christ? Well, we have the same problem with other verses. Verses that say it is the Father that created the world. So what do we do with that? Have we found a contradiction in the Word of God? Not at all. This is just another indication of the Trinity. The three and one, the, the the ones that are the same in essence, the one in purpose and will, the Father creates in Christ through the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ? He is the God's agent, in the creation and he is the sustainer of all life well next we look at his agency in the ministry of Christ and this is one of the most outstanding features of the Holy Spirit's work Jesus Christ the God-man the second person of the Trinity was dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit in his life and you might want to mark that because if Jesus the man Needed the Holy Spirit then you men and women need the Holy Spirit. Now it started with his birth in which we learned that it was the Holy Spirit who impregnated the Virgin Mary with the Son of God. You remember how Joseph was terribly troubled when he found out that Mary was pregnant. He was a just man and a good man and rather than to make a public example of her, as the scripture says, he could have done that by law, he could have. He decided that, that he would keep it a private matter and that he would end his engagement to her discreetly. And it was then that the angel Gabriel came to him. Matthew 1, verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things... Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. So much to talk about when we speak of the incarnation of Christ. He was virgin born. His birth was a miracle. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit because he is God. And in that conception, he was preserved from the sinful Adamic nature that would have been passed on to him by a human father. Now, the only way that Jesus could save his people from their sins was to remain sinless. And hold that thought for just a moment. We'll come back to it. Several times in preaching on the virgin birth, I've I've related the words of a of a great Bible college professor that had a huge impact on my father's ministry. His name was Dr. C.D. Stevens, and I just barely remember him. He lived a few houses up the street from us, but he died when I was very young. But I remember when my when my dad would preach, he would he would quote this line. When he was dealing with the virgin birth, he would quote this line from Dr. C.D. Stevens in which he said, God immensity packed himself into the minute cell of a Galilean virgin. And even though I was so young, I could see that old man standing before his class and saying those words, God immensity packed himself into the cell of a Galilean virgin. Friends, God immensity came upon the virgin. And he impregnated her with the Son of God. He was born of the Holy Spirit. And so his physical life as a man began through the operation of the Holy Spirit. And that isn't all. We learn that it's through the Spirit that he began to learn and to grow. Luke chapter 2 tells us that after Jesus was dedicated at the temple, his parents returned to Nazareth and there he began to mature. The Holy Spirit was the agent in his growth and instruction. And in Luke 2.40, it says, And the child grew and waxed strong in the Spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. The grace of God was upon him. The grace of God is an indication of the growth in wisdom, and the outworking of that grace and knowledge and wisdom is the work of the Holy Spirit. I hope that you remember the familiar verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that exposit the thought that our wisdom in the things of God comes from none other than the Holy Spirit. And that was true of Jesus, the young boy, as he grew. We learned that when he was 12 years old, he knew so much that he confounded the priest in the temple. Mary and Joseph left towards home after the feast in Jerusalem. They didn't know that they'd left Jesus behind. So after they'd gone away, they returned and they began to look for him. And they found him in the temple complex discussing the scriptures with the erudite doctors of the law. In verses 46 and 47 of Luke 2, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers." Where did he get this knowledge? Well, he was in the human body. He had to grow and he had to learn just as we do. He applied himself and he was taught by the Holy Spirit. And so he grew later into the man that so confused the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, he so confused them with his wisdom of Scripture, they finally gave up arguing with him. His knowledge of Scripture put them to shame. And then we can follow Jesus into his ministry. And we learn that in the inauguration of it and the preparation for it, the Holy Spirit was there as God's agent. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove and blessed and sanctioned his ministry. Then shortly thereafter, what we read in Luke 4 took place. And that was the Spirit led him into the wilderness where Satan tempted him to sin against his father. Now, I ask you to hold this thought that Jesus must remain sinless to save his people from their sins. So what do you think is the purpose of Christ's temptation in the wilderness? What does you think that Satan was trying to achieve by this? What did he want more than anything? Well, he ruins, Satan ruins redemption if he gets Jesus to sin. He, he ruins it if he can get Jesus ...to reject the cross and to take the kingdoms of the world then as the devil offered him. Jesus was tempted in all ways that we are tempted and he still did not sin. He was human, as human as you and I are human. So why didn't he sin? Well, there's more than one answer to that. And perhaps without you knowing, I've already covered one of those. The first is he had no human father... Thus, he had no sin nature. Another reason is that the Holy Spirit who took him into the wilderness stayed with him there and sustained him throughout all the spirit uh, devil's temptations. The spirit was his source of strength that preserved that absolute sinless character when he was at his life's weakest point. He was without sin in his birth. He stayed that way. He could not sin because the scripture says he was given the spirit of God without measure. Now, this this, this means that he didn't have the various limited gifts of the spirit. All Christians have one or more gifts of the spirit. I have some that you don't have. You have some that I don't have. The Spirit has made you better at some things than I am because I don't have your gift. We have different gifts by the Spirit. And that's what helps us to complement one another within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't have one or two gifts, Uh, He wasn't strong in some areas and weak in others. Of the Holy Spirit was given to him without measure. And so he had all of the gifts of the Spirit in the fullness of their capacity. He was filled with the Spirit. And then further, it was the Holy Spirit that was always present for his preaching and healing ministry. Luke speaks of the Holy Spirit when... He says that Jesus was in the synagogue at Nazareth. Remember we read that a moment ago? I kind of slowed down on that point. The Spirit was with him. And he went into the, he went into the synagogue. And uh, there he began to read the scriptures from the book of Isaiah. Luke records again chapter 4. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Isn't that marvelous? This is just a tremendous thing. The Holy Spirit was always present with him all throughout his ministry. The Spirit of God was upon him, helping him and strengthening him through those long days of doing God's work. And then finally, in his ministry, it was the Holy Spirit that was with him in the garden tomb. Jesus was laid in the tomb for three days. His body was lifeless. How many guesses do I need to give you? How that Jesus came back to life. How did he come back to life? How was he raised from the dead? Paul tells us how it happened. Romans 8 verses 10 and 11. He says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Again, just another outstanding scripture that contains hope for all believers. Who is the spirit of Christ? Well, he is the one that conceived Jesus in the womb, he sustained him in his temptation. He succored him throughout his ministry. He raised him from the dead. He did all of that, and here Paul adds to this, this is what he's going to do for you as a believer in him. He will raise you from the dead. Marvelous, wonderful things that we read in the Word of God. He is the agent in the ministry of creation, the agent in the ministry of Christ. I have time to give you just one more. And this is his agency in the ministry of the canon. He is the agent in the ministry of the canon. And here, of course, I'm speaking of the canon of the Holy of the holy Scriptures. Now, you, you might not know this word canon. It's not something that you shoot in the dawn's early light. It means a measuring rod. The measuring rod. The Scriptures are the fundamental rule... By which all truth is measured. Scripture contains all truth. All all truth is God's truth. Anything contrary to the scriptures is untrue. The Bible is the measure of all preaching and understanding of God. Well, then how did we get these holy scriptures? Well, the Holy Spirit revealed the truth of God to certain men. And they wrote them down and they became the Holy Scriptures. We can't know who God truly is except by the Scriptures. Now, the Bible does say the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. God's existence is evident without me telling you that He exists. The Scriptures say, if you don't know this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, Jesus said the stones would cry out, if the, if the handiwork of God in the heavens didn't do it, the stones would cry out. But we don't learn about the personal God and how to have a relationship with Him by looking at the stars at night. By looking at the moon at night or looking at the sun in the daytime. We don't learn a relationship with God by looking at our fingers and our toes and looking at this body that's fearfully and wonderfully made. That tells us that God exists. But it doesn't tell us how to have a relationship with him. It's all unmistakable that God exists, but intimate personal knowledge of God and what he did for man is revealed in only one way, and that is through the pages of scripture. And that's the difference between natural revelation and special revelation. The creation is natural revelation. Knowing God personally and intimately is special revelation. You can't know that except through the Scriptures, through God's Word. Well, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is the author of all these Scriptures. Do you know why that's so important? Well, it is, because if there is any person who thought up the Scriptures, the Scriptures wouldn't be infallible. The Scriptures are inerrant because they come from the mind of an omniscient God. And haven't we learned the Holy Spirit is omniscient? He is the author of Scripture. Peter said in 2nd Peter 1 knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of god spake as they were moved by the holy ghost paul wrote 2nd Timothy 3:16 all scripture is given by inspiration of god and it's profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness. Do you see it? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now that word inspiration. Inspiration of God. That phrase is so important. The scriptures uh, uh, says here. It uses the word theopneustos. It's a word. The first of the word is Theo. Which means God. The next part of it comes from that word I told you before. From pneuma. We learned a few minutes ago that means breath. And so that, that phrase actually means God breathed. And the Holy Spirit is the breath of God that inspired all Scripture. Well, how do we know the Bible is true? God wrote it. His instruments were men who recorded the words. He used their personalities. He used their writing styles. But the words that they wrote were the words of God. We have a direct illustration of this in Revelation chapter 1. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. Verse 19, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. You see that John was in the Spirit when he was spoken to by Christ. He was told to write what he saw. How did he write that? Well, he wrote it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, just two more thoughts quickly and we'll be done. It is necessary for the Holy Spirit to write the words of Scripture for them to be infallible and uninfluenced by our sinfulness. And the reason for this it is because it is by the Word of God that we are born again. We can't be born again by anything that is corrupt. As Jesus was the living word and lived a sinless life and was not corrupt, so the written word of God must be the incorruptible word of God. In order to bring people to spiritual life, they must have the incorruptible word of God. Listening again to the Apostle Peter, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, 23 to 25, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The Holy Spirit. Is the one who preserves the word. Jesus instructed his disciples on the night before his death. He said in John 14. But the comforter which is the Holy Ghost. Whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I said unto you. So it's the Holy Spirit. That kept the words of Christ alive in their memories. They didn't sit down there with a notepad. And while Jesus was speaking, say, oh, hold on just a minute, I gotta get that down. You said, what? Would you repeat that for me, please? Let me, let me just write that down. That's not how it happened at all. These things were written after Jesus had died. Some of them years and years after Jesus died. And it was the Holy Spirit that preserved all the words of Jesus Christ so that the, the disciples could write them down in the gospel accounts and then in, in other places of scripture. So the Holy Spirit is one who kept Christ alive in their memories to record it all. And then the Holy Spirit protected their memories from pollution and distortion. So that what we read is what Jesus said. They remembered just what Jesus said. They added nothing to it. They took nothing away from it. They said what Jesus said. Now, Satan knows that the way to blind people to the truth and keep them away from salvation and out of heaven is to corrupt the word. And he has myriads of ways that he tries to corrupt it. He does it by spurious works, such as the Book of Mormon and their doctrines of doctrines and covenants. He does it by false translations like those of the Jehovah Witness, the New World Translation. He perverts the word in that way. He does it by their watchtower, which they also say is inspired. He even does it. Hold on. He even does it by charismatics who say that God is still revealing word today. There are still revelations of God that are given today. And so Satan corrupts the word of God through those means. But what did the Holy Spirit of God do? He preserved God's word. Through 2,000 years of church history, we have accurate translations of what the Holy Spirit originally said. God preserves the word in every generation so that we can have confidence in the Bible that we have. Is it necessary for us to have accurate translations? Of course it is. We are born again by the Word of God. And we can only be born again by the truth. Now, still one other point to consider concerning this. The Holy Spirit is the agent in the ministry of the canon or the Word, but it's also necessary for Him to illuminate our minds to the understanding of the Word. There are millions of Bibles printed, millions of Bibles sold, given away all over the world. But that doesn't mean that every person who owns the Bible understands the Bible. There are a lot of people who think they understand the Bible. They've always got an opinion about this or that. Most of them have never read the Bible at all. I remember telling you the story of a lady that I uh, went out to visit uh, one day right over here in uh, Cotati. And I was, uh, sat down with her and, and she was telling me what Jesus said. Jesus said this and Jesus said that. And I said, would you really like me to show you what Jesus said? So I pulled out my Bible and we began to read the words of Jesus, and she just looked at it. Thought she already knew what Jesus said. And you hear it quoted all the time. What did Jesus say? Nothing like what he really said. But we have the Word of God that accurately records it, and we must have the Holy Spirit to illuminate what Jesus and the rest of the Bible actually says. But we wonder about this. We, we just read it, that the, the Word of God has the power of salvation. It has the power of eternal life. It has the power to see God. Why isn't then everybody who has a Bible, why aren't they going to heaven? There's so many Bibles. Why aren't people more people saved and going to heaven? Doesn't it have the power? Yes and no. It doesn't have the power of salvation and eternal life as it leaves left unread and misunderstood. There is no power there. But when the power energizes the Word of God and cuts to the heart like a sword wielded by an unseen hand, the result of that is repentance, faith, salvation, conversion, coming to Jesus Christ and being born again. Who ministers word to the heart and gives understanding. It's the Holy Spirit who illuminates our minds to the truth. He opens the eyes of understanding. I don't cause you to understand the best argument that I can make cannot cause you to understand. But what the Holy Spirit can do is take the words that I speak and construct the arguments that you need so that you do understand. I referred to this earlier in the growth of Jesus about wisdom and knowledge. This is our utilitarian scripture that we use on the spirit. That's in 1 Corinthians 2. Now, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things With spiritual. It's the Holy Spirit who ministers the word to the heart of the hearer. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ so you can understand it. And when we come back to this next time, we're going to spend some more time on that special ministry of the Spirit. So you see how extensive and essential the Holy Spirit's work is when the Bible shows us that He is God's agent. All the world, all the work that that God does in the world is done through the agency of this Spirit of Christ. The work of the Father in creation. The work of the Son in redemption. The work of understanding the Scriptures. All of that is made effectual by the Holy Spirit. So we look at Acts 19 again. And here are men who are missing much of the truth of the Holy Spirit. Now, they would have had the fundamental rudimentary knowledge of the Spirit from the Old Testament, but they had nothing like the ability to put all of that together. Put all of it together and and, and understand because it's God by His Spirit that makes His presence known personally to the heart of every believer. So, their response is, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Ghost. I don't think the same will be true of you. You know that Christ came, don't you? And you know that there is salvation in him. And you know that when you received Christ as your Savior, you were given the Holy Spirit. And he lives in you today. And the reason that he does is to better equip you to honor and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater that we do here than to honor and glorify Christ. And by God's grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we will lift up Christ, just as the scripture says we must. Blessed be God for the spirit of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707 Five eight four seven two seven five, or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, six two nine eight Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California nine four nine two eight. Additionally, you may visit us online at org.